Hello, welcome to your courageous journey. This is Julie Faber. And this is Julie Sickles. And we are back today with part two of an interview with you. And for those of you new to our podcast, our format is we we have an interview with someone and we talk about an aspect of their life that they want to share with us and with you listeners. And then the following week, we follow up talking about a psychological principle or personal development principle that you can use in your own life based upon our conversation from the week before. Okay, so this interview is actually a little bit different than our others have been uh, because it is two parts. <laughs> Nathan is the one that we started interviewing last week, and he kind of went through a big ordeal with a, a relationship that he was in that was a toxic one. And so we are getting into part two of it. I think it, it had a lot to say, which I think is really valuable information for us. So part one, he left off talking to a therapist about this relationship and that he decided he had wanted to get out. And the therapist ended up telling him that she didn't think he was going to leave. And he had just lost a lot of hope from that interaction with the therapist. And that is where we left off. So we are going to jump back into the interview now and he is going to be explaining where he was in the aftermath of that meeting with his therapist. I would try to leave and I would turn my phone off and then I'd be sitting there in the silence and the silence would creep in and I'm still on high alert. I'm still in panic mode. I'm still in go mode. I'm still responding to all the horrible things that I'm responding to except she's not even there. And so yeah. I don't know what to you're kind do. of like playing it in your head mm -hmm. and it's like, it's still happening. Yeah. And so I can only withstand that for so long before I turn the phone back on and say, well, if I'm going to be dealing with it anyway, I might as well do it live. Mm. So I, uh, yeah, inevitably the therapist was right. I didn't leave. So outside of that, I ended up, struggling through that i don't remember exactly how and i don't remember exactly when but eventually the questions lightened up it was under the promise of a document where basically i was going to write out every detail of everything that i had ever been through with any female in my life however you want to put it right every encounter i had had i was going to put it all in one place as a direct reference for her to go back to and all of it would be completely true and unchanging to my experience so essentially it would act as like a an answer guide for if she ever started to question something she could refer back to that okay. she could reference that. that um so that was kind of your way of finally being able to move on was like you have all the information and it's accessible to you and i never ended up writing it mm. um, oh you didn't i i thought about it and it didn't take it. Okay. very long for me to think about it. But once I realized what I was actually doing, it scared me more than the possibility of being questioned forever. Because mm -hmm. this would enable her to question me forever. Anything that I wrote down in that document would then be able to be used as you didn't phrase it the exact same way. It was just enabling another way for her to continue doing the same thing. Yeah. On top okay. of the mental, emotional, and physical exhaustion of being in the military, not having any recovery time, any time to just be a human being. So I not only didn't I have the energy, I was actively scared of doing it because of how it could be weaponized. If there was So one how thing much longer did you stay in a relationship with her after that point? So eventually my contract came to an end. We ended up staying together for somewhere between two and three years it'd be three years after i got out of the military oh. but the relationship wasn't really a relationship after i got out of the military for the first month of me being out of the military it was kind of same old but since i was back home this was around the start of the pandemic um and I hadn't set up like an apartment or anything. I had, I had work semi-secured, but I still had to go and interview and talk to who my future boss would be. 
So I ended up going back home for a while, but I had support. So I had people around, which means that I was no longer isolated, which means that I had more peace in my existence to be able to contend back from the chaos and say, listen, this isn't what I'm willing to do. And this is not how it's going to be. So at that point, then you did have people who were supporting you and helping you and saying they believed in you that you could. Oh, I didn't tell them about any of it. Oh, oh, you didn't tell them about it. You, but you felt you didn't need her like you had in the past because you had other people. Yep. Um, Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this this isn't a story that I've actually told very much of uh, a lot. I don't actually talk a lot about a lot of what I've been through. Um, I've always kind of been a I'll handle it type of person, even to this day. I don't know if that's something I'm ever really going to totally get past. Kind of learned to be a rock when I was young. And uh, sometimes and the military probably didn't change that in any way (laughs) no now i'm a rock with military bearing what do you mean right (laughs) so um kind of always handled things on my own a little bit more but i knowing that i have the support and if i wanted that support i from an early age i ended up becoming the mediator in my family the parents divorce i know this isn't the topic my parents divorce had really profound effects on me i had kind of both parents pulling away at opposite ends right so i had my mom telling me about the terrible things my dad's doing and my dad telling me about the horrible lies that he's got to say about my mom and so i'm kind of like being pulled apart by both of them and when i was that young i said i need to know what's true I need to know which one of you is the threat. I need to know which one of you is lying to me. I need to be able to decipher the stimuli and this information in a way that I can understand it because I cannot live knowing these two horrible sides of everything kind of being slammed into my head at the same time, right? Yeah. So I learned somewhat early on how to get a good read for people Um, and this worked both for and against me as I grew up because when you're a kid who starts to understand oh if I say this thing this person will react that way oh if I respond this way this person stops doing this thing I don't like so you learn to manage people yeah in short terms manipulate and manage people's emotions and manage yep um yeah i learned how to present things in ways that people would respond to and so (laughs) it was a very useful skill for me to understand early on because it helped slow down and prevent the onslaught of kind of like constant stimuli i learned when not to tell people things i learned when to tell people things i learned what was okay to talk about and what wasn't um and kind of the thing that I figured out along the way was sometimes you've got to put yourself to the side in order to be able to move forward. Um, I can always come back and deal with me, but sometimes things with other people are time sensitive. Um, and so putting aside me for now means that I can attend to them now and then I can deal with me later. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, you learn to be a caretaker, and you always take care of other people first, and that doesn't lend to having a healthy relationship with yourself or other people as an adult. Yeah, I'm still working on the self-relationship. Yeah, Yeah, when when you don't listen to yourself and what you need, it sets up a lot of challenge, and it's hard. I think that's a message that a lot of people can really relate to. I think there's a lot of people who for varying many different reasons, learn to do that growing up, to ignore themselves and try to put all their energy into focusing and helping other people. Yeah, I think one of my biggest struggles uh, has been to learn how to, I, I feel like my emotional needs and my one of the things that I do, I have a wonderful, wonderful friend who pointed this out to me. They basically told me that I intellectualize my feelings and being able to 
intellectualize my feelings is not the same thing as being able to feel my feelings. I feel like the emotional capacity that I am able to speak in is an entirely different language than my emotions are speaking to me in. So sometimes it's foreign and I still to this day struggle to figure out exactly what I'm feeling. I just kind of feel things and experience and don't exactly know what it is or what it means or what I need. And in hindsight, I'm able to intellectualize like, oh, this is probably what this thing feels like. This is probably how I respond to, you know, this thing. This is probably related to a trauma I have around this. It's it's all very easy for me to put into words, but when it comes to the experience and cultivating my own experience to be what I want it to be, that's a totally different ball game. Um, yeah. And one that I'm still somewhat amateur at. I think it is a skill that definitely takes time to learn, especially if you grew up in a culture like most of us do in the United States that's very emotionally illiterate. You know, we don't learn to pay attention to our feelings. We learn to ignore our feelings, right? We learn that feelings aren't rational. So just try to think rationally or just stop being angry or stop, stop being sad. Stop having feelings. Stop having feelings. Duh. Yeah. So I think it um, is a tricky skill that we have to, a lot of times as adults, go back and take some time to be able to figure it out. I don't think it's automatic for the majority of people, especially in the culture we live in here in the United States. I think mm -hmm. it's a big challenge. There are some really good, healthy families that teach their kids these skills, but... I think it's changing a lot, too, that culture. Uh, you, yes well, maybe and no. not a lot. It's starting to I change. I feel but... like not only do we not learn it in our homes, but I don't feel like like in our school systems, we're really giving kids the tools and the skills that they need. You know, the amount of social or emotional education that you're getting, it's so limited, right? It might be one hour a week in your elementary school that you talk about something like that. But did we ever, um, I don't ever remember talking about it even one hour. I don't remember. I think I remember like sometimes like there would be an assembly where something would be about up, your feelings. That, I don't. Yeah. Remember or, I remember or just dare. about. That's all I remember. Yeah. Things like that. <laughs> so there would be little bits and pieces of it. I feel like here and there. And mm -hmm. I do think it's better than it used to be. You know, there's a lot more social workers in schools now that really focus on social emotional education programs. I know my kids charter school has a screening tool now that they use for kids where they have them take a test and if they're struggling, they'll show what areas they're struggling in. So, I mean, they're working on it, but it's a big concern. Kids these days are really, really struggling. The rates of anxiety are just shooting up and getting worse. And Well, I think um, the technology has a lot to do with that too. It does. It's also just our society True. and the way yeah. it is right now. So yeah. I don't think it's surprising, Nathan, that you're still like working on that and figuring it out. Yeah. Well, I think it's probably also one of the first opportunities I've had in my life to actually kind of sit back and look at it. Right. I feel like I've accrued a decent amount of life lessons and I guess some people would call it something along the lines of wisdom along the way. I didn't learn specifically my own emotional literacy, but I did learn everybody else's emotional literacy. I'm pretty good at being able to kind of decipher what people are giving me and then deliver it back, right? Mm -hmm. And then possibly provide solutions if that's something that the other party is interested in. But that's all kind of stemming back from childhood. What I did learn was coping mechanisms. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm going to bring them up because they were actually extremely useful and still ones that I would continue to choose to lean on today mm -hmm. because I think they are exceptionally valuable, especially when I don't think the ones that I've entirely developed have been unhealthy. I think some of them have, but I don't think it's possible to have a completely clean slate in that regard. However, given that I took a very strong interest in Taoism after my aunt passed away, mm. um, and yeah. Taoism and understanding that all things kind of feed back into each other in very significant and important ways. And the only way to 
to experience something like true beauty is to experience something like true agony, right? And it's mm -hmm. it, an unfortunate trade-off, but it is one that I think that people have to kind of endure. Yeah, because I didn't know what it really meant to be alive until I watched somebody pass like in front of me. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, between that and then I actually take kind of an absurdist viewpoint sometimes, which not everybody uh, meshes well with. But from my outlook is kind of like positive nihilism, if that makes sense, where ultimately things that we do might not result in anything and it might not have as significant of an impact as we dream about in fairy tales, but that the feeling of doing something that is good and is morally compassed well is in and of itself worth pursuing. And that that's where the absurdist kicks in and says, the, the fact that we're able to experience consciousness and sentience in a universe that is so vast and unforgiving and has such little potential for life across it, uh, thinking about the fact that we're the only life that we know of in the universe and that we get kind of a chance to be alive and have experiences and experience emotions and all of these wonderful things, even if some of them are horrible and deplorable, the fact that we get this opportunity at all is such a small chance. It is almost a microscopic chance. And yet we're here and we get to experience it. It's mind-boggling when you put it into that perspective and that always kind of like roots me back in reality where it's like all right yeah this thing is pretty terrible but uh but i'm i'm here and i'm alive and i'm experiencing yeah yeah yeah, yeah like get to have that experience yeah yeah so yeah those are sense. kind of the things that root me back into okay i can get through this just one step at a time so let's try to get back to the relationship and maybe yeah. kind of the two pieces I'd like to know is how did it finally end? And is there anything specifically before you get to that that you feel like would be important to share about the relationship or for people to maybe know or understand? So I'll talk about the relationships end, and then I'll do a little bit of reflection because I think that that'll probably be valuable. So First and foremost, the relationship ended in the least climactic way possible. And I think that that's probably telling to the wind up in chaos of the hurricane and then the kind of cool down afterwards. So over the next two years, she basically faded from my existence. It was talking throughout the day consistently and then talking less throughout the day consistently and then barely talking at all. And then really just saying good morning and good night. And I recently found out that she basically had realized that she was never going to get what she wanted. Kind of just said, I'll leave it here for if anything ever happens that makes me feel another way. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And I was so emotionally drained from the relationship that I was grateful for the time to recover at that point. So I didn't pay it any mind. But we had a point. She asked me a question, which was, yeah, if you see a future that I'm not in, then you need to break up with me. And I said, don't call me anymore. We're done. Okay. She goes, really? That's it? And I'm like, that's it. That's it. We're over. And we stopped. We kept in small contact here and there. Not much. Just kind of like, are you still alive? Stuff like that. But after that, it was just the relationship was over. We both kind of moved on and talked very, very little. This talk recently was a really good one, and it brought me a lot of closure to a lot of these things because I had never fully understood how she could behave that way and then try to say that it was my fault. Right? Because mm -hmm. in my mind, I'm subject to all of these things. And I think that the most important thing to say is that the people when they're in extreme circumstances and when they feel like they're being pushed to extremes can turn into people that they don't even recognize. I yeah. never would have been somebody that I could have seen saying some of the horrible things that I said to her. That's not who I was. That's not who I am. I'm a mediator. I 
try to attend to other people's emotions. I try to make circumstances better for people and not worse. And I really try to live my life like that, kind of placing other people first. And sometimes at my own expense is really, really important to me. And there were so many times that I acted selfishly just to get what I felt was unfair torment to stop and kind of turned me into somebody I didn't even recognize. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror for a lot of it. And I couldn't rationalize my way out of that paper bag. I got turned upside down and yeah, I didn't look like me for a very long time. Horrible circumstances turn people into people they don't recognize anymore. Yeah. So this toxic relationship really affected somewhat your own relationship with yourself and trust in yourself and who you identified as yeah. a little bit. Yeah, 100%. I subjugated myself to basically being who I was at work because who I was at home was just unrecognizable to me. And so I poured all of anything positive I had into work and made sure that when I went home, there was nothing left to be taken away. I think the same has to be true for her. I don't think that I can give myself that kind of cover without also acknowledging her own humanity. Because, as I said kind of early on, I don't think forgiveness is something that you can just use nominally. I think it's something that has to be felt. And so I genuinely don't hold any kind of negative anything for her at this point. I think what happened happened, and while it was horrible and I have a lot of unpacking to do around it, and while I have a lot of self-growth that I have to do as a result of it, I don't think I can ever blame or feel resentment towards her for it. I just kind of have to know that she was human too, and she felt and experienced horrible things in that time as well. As much as I want to say that the things she did to me caused my experience to be horrible, I think that completely discounts all of the factors that kind of led into that situation being what it was. And it's not that I didn't have a hand to play, so I've still got more work to do and I've still got more unpacking to do, but I think that's kind of an always and forever thing, you know? So it sounds like you are at a place now where you don't have a lot of anger or resentment towards her. I don't think I have too much anger or resentment towards many things, if anything, at this point. Letting... Well, I is there any resentment towards yourself and who you became in that relationship? I think that I have to give myself just enough grace to understand that while I became something that doesn't resemble who I am, it's exactly that. I became something that doesn't resemble who I am. I don't think any person, alive or otherwise, put into the same set of circumstances comes out a saint. I just don't think it's possible. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that it probably, and I emphasize probably, it probably was an impossible set of circumstances if all of the factors leading into it are the same, that once that kind of hell world hit, that I don't think anybody else makes it out the other side the same person either. I don't think it's possible. So what advice would you have for people if they're stuck in a similar hell-like relationship? If you find yourself in a relationship that feels absolutely impossible to get out of, the only advice that I have for you is that there's no choice other than to escape because you're going to make that choice sooner or later. You will never stay there forever. There's no way to stay there forever. And if you can't stay there forever, then you need to get out sooner rather than later. So to kind of embrace the inevitability of the situation. Embrace the inevitability of leaving the situation specifically. Okay. And to try to recognize it and do it sooner rather than later, because the longer you wait, the longer you're going to feel trapped. Yeah. And you will likely feel trapped even when you try to leave. Even when you do leave, you're still going to feel trapped, but you're not trapped by the other person. You're trapped by everything that you're holding on to. I like the analogy used of the hurricane. You're kind of still trapped because there's all the debris you need to clean up yeah yeah there's still a mess left yep. <laughs> it's just you 
a mess that you have to take responsibility for and clean up. Yeah, you're probably still buried alive under there, but the hurricane will stop and will go away. And it is paramount that you get to cleaning that debris sooner rather than later. Because I promise it's going to end. But Yeah, so this is my question. So this relationship kind of drifted away. And at first, it really sounds like it felt like kind of the trauma of the situation was still very much present with you, even though you weren't in the relationship. So as you worked through it, you know, how has that faded or how much time till you realized, oh, I'm not kind of in a state of feeling like I'm being tormented still? So that actually came... It probably took about a year for me to not be as reactive to potential triggers. I think for probably the first year when things were winding down in the aftermath and we were still technically together, but the hell world itself had stopped. I think for probably that first year, like if there was the proper question or the proper implication, if even a friend like started to imply something, like they had some kind of doubt about something I was saying, my brain would go into fight or flight mode. I'd be immediately ready to defend to the death whatever I was about to say. And they, or if they ask the question, can I ask you a question? <laughs> I laugh while he's saying that because I, how many times have I asked you that, Nathan? You ask me that all a lot. the time. And is every it triggering? Single, yeah. So there's still flashes mm. where it's like I see that and immediately my anxiety hikes to about a two or a three, but it's only a two or a three. And I'm like, okay, it's nothing. So it's gotten a lot better. Yeah. Are my questions okay. scary, though? <laughs> Sometimes. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now we need to get into that, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, but now I'm more mindful of it, right? So just a little bit, like... Did you... Yeah. Did you know that that question might be triggering Did to I? Nathan? Yeah. You know, I think he's probably mentioned it a time or two. But, but you did you but you didn't have like I a conceptualization re- of what that yeah, even Yeah, and I don't like always meant. remember that. Like cuz I'm like, yeah. "Hey, I got a question." By the way, <laughs> like that usually doesn't mean anything bad. I just asked him that earlier. <laughs> I am I like, hey, except gonna- that it did for years and years it meant something bad. Well, but I mean, when I ask it, I'm not like, "Hey, I got this really scary question for you." <laughs> right. <laughs> like, well, the presentation is the same, right? Because it could be over a text. Yeah, sure. Can I ask you a question? Like the parallel is definitely there. The words themselves can act as a trigger, right? It's not of necessarily course, yeah. always. Um, but dissociating the two concepts of like somebody needs to ask me a question, and uh, oh, I have something horrible to speak about. <laughs> like dissociating those two things away from each other is definitely a little rough, but um. Yeah. I think the good news about a phrase like, can I ask you a question, is like, I would get asked that at work all the time, right? Because I was a subject matter expert. So people would come up, hey, can I ask you a question? And I could be like, yeah, no problem. Right. So it's a little bit easier to dissociate. Yeah. It also depends on like the source, right? So the source for the stimuli matters, where if it's a source that I have kind of more secure feelings around, I'm better able to kind of acknowledge and just respond to it as it exists. Uh, yeah, just hear it as the question is and not tied to, oh no, a hurricane is coming. Yeah, but the first time I'm asked that in close friendships, every single time I'm like... <laughs> the hurricane is coming. I'm like, all right, let's see what happens from here. Because this is going to mean a lot for the future of our relationship. <laughs> but I would yeah. guess too that it might be better if like it's over voice or in person and you can hear the tone right it definitely depends because sometimes it would be asked very innocuously like the tone doesn't always Mm. matter sometimes it'd literally just be oh i'm curious about this thing right not every single time she said it it was a pitfall was it yeah Yeah. so it was sometimes it'd just be can i ask you a question and then it's like yeah it's like what do you think about this thing And that's totally fine, right? Or would you want to watch this thing? Or would you want to do this thing? It's like, not all of those questions are evil, but 
the fight or flight response was always present. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And when you talk about doing and saying things that are not your character to me as a therapist, it makes a lot of sense because when you do go into that fight flight, you are reverting to a more primitive state. You're not, you're, you're kind of human thinking brain goes offline you're not doing problem solving. You're not in a place where you have a lot of empathy for other people. Your brain is simply, I must survive. There is danger here. And it doesn't differentiate between emotional danger and physical danger. Yeah. So it makes sense that you're going to do or say whatever you think you need to, to survive in that time and in that moment, you know, having that awareness that you're going into fight or flight and recognizing this isn't going to help me in my relationships. Yeah. Is a skill that I think is really important for people to learn. I think, again, I'm blessed enough to be able to intellectualize my emotions. And so that oftentimes gives me at least recourse, not even necessarily direct solutions. But I, so I, I have one more tidbit that I think is actually kind of relevant to the whole thing. There are two different words that we sometimes use interchangeably, but they're not interchangeable at all. They're the words simple and easy. Easy means that something is going to provide low difficulty, and simple means that it's straightforward. So I think that in circumstances where... So I'll explain it like this. I'm actually going to be quitting smoking in a couple days. Um... I've been smoking since I was 17. It is going to be one of the hardest things I will have ever done. Second, probably none. Um, getting off the uh, bus at boot camp was probably easier than quitting smoking, OB. That being said, it will be one of the simplest things I've ever done because all I'm doing is not performing an action. However, that is not one of the easiest things I've ever done, right? It's going to be one of the hardest. So... I think that that kind of defines the difference between it. And so for me, it's very simple to define the emotions, but it's not always very easy, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, there's there's an important distinction with no real justification. Yeah, it's a, I think I agree. It's not always easy. No. But it's... <clears throat> kind of the starting place for having that relationship with ourselves yeah 100 percent. i've still got a lot of work to do on myself and i know that i've still got a lot of unpacking with a lot of this stuff to do and i realize that i uh <laughs> i'm still following a trend in my existence where i take on a lot and keep myself busy mm -hmm. it's always a little bit easier to have other people to manage rather than just myself so I keep myself busy and I work on myself in the meantime, but I've been doing a lot of that. So I think yeah. that working on yourself and all that is a lifelong process for people who want growth, the growth mindset Definitely. that we've talked about. And so, yeah, definitely. And I think it is common to and easier for us to focus on other people and not ourselves. It's kind of that oh, yeah. simple and easy thing again. Oh, yeah. It, so it sounds pretty simple, but it actually takes a lot of commitment and dedication and vision to be able to focus on ourselves to have that growth. Yeah. Self-care is very, very important. One thing that I've learned for myself. Yeah. Working on yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. Yep. Yeah, it is. So tell me this, Nathan, maybe as a wrap up to our conversation today, what are your hopes for the future and for your life and relationships from this point forward? So I think I think one of the biggest things that I've learned is something that's going to be indescribably valuable to me is learning how to set boundaries with both myself and people around me in a way that supports what I need and what they need. Right. Nice. Um, I think that those boundaries have to have enough space for me to do a thing that I love to do, which is just reflection. I, I don't know why I've always kind of loved trapping myself in my head and fighting my way out of that paper bag for hours on end. And Taoism was a 
good way to go about that. Facing mortality was a way I did that for a while. Lately, it's been philosophy and morality. It's always something, and I'm always looking for ways to challenge myself. But internally having the space to be able to do so and moreover the emotional energy to do so because when you're challenging things like morality and (laughs) things like that you do need a lot of emotional energy to be able to really withstand some of those concepts some of them are so dense and so it takes a lot and so sometimes i might need a decent extra amount of space so setting those boundaries and communicating them effectively i think is going to be really really valuable in my relationships to come both friendships and romantically yeah in terms of my own goals going forward i've kind of always had it in my head that uh, a family would would be a fun concept for me i've got three sisters i've got nephews and nieces uh, seven eight of them i don't know there's so many other rascals <laughs> that uh, I've had a hand in helping raise some of them. My sisters are all significantly older than me, so some of my nephews and nieces are off on their own already, and my hand in that is done. So I think next up is a family of my own. So oh, nice. we'll see what that looks like. Nice. I love that. And it is so hopeful. I think boundaries are such an important concept that it's hard to really wrap your mind around because you can't necessarily see and touch them but boundaries are what create good relationships it's what lets you both know like this is where i'm at and this is what i need and good boundaries lead to good relationships and i think that sometimes people think of boundaries as like well this is my ultimatum or i'm out of here but i think boundaries are the opposite when we have good boundaries we both can show up and respect each other and develop a relationship of trust and maintain comfort the entire time. (laughs) Well, I think for the most part that can be true, but I I mean, there's, especially with growth, I think there's moments of discomfort, but, and I think I know what you're getting at, but yeah, one thing to point out too is boundaries are even important in like marriages and romantic relationships. I think a lot of people kind of tend to think you just blend your lives mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't think people realize that they're or you or you're so meshed together you're not allowed to have boundaries <laughs> I've, run, I've definitely run into that i'm like wait a second here people mm-hmm. we need to we need to yeah. have some healthy boundaries yeah. what boundaries they're not just supposed to cater to my every every need and <laughs> and read my mind and no <laughs> yeah. no they're not because they're a separate person and uh one concept I use a lot in marriage therapy is that your emotions are your responsibility to deal with and their emotions are their responsibility to deal with. And somewhere along the way, most of us got a message that I'm supposed to take care of your emotions and you're supposed to take care of my emotions. Okay. And it just doesn't work. So here's here's actually, I think, a really valuable question because I would find myself agreeing that right like we are responsible for managing our own emotions how do you enact something like that boundary with somebody who doesn't want to enact that boundary yeah so if you're saying you know for instance i was speaking with someone today and they were talking about their mother was really anxious about something that they wanted to do (laughs) in their home to put something up in their home. And their mom's like, you're going to have to put all these holes in the wall. And that makes me really anxious. And I was like, you do realize it's not your job to manage your mom's emotions. It's her job to manage them, right? Like this is your home. You get to decide what you're going to do. And I'm pretty sure she's not going to die from her anxiety. If you do this thing, she's going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to boundaries, what we want is to be clear and kind. So you're still allowed and encouraged to show empathy and concern for the other person. But it's also okay for you to say, right, look, mom, I understand you have this anxiety and I understand that. And I'm here to, you know, support you in healthy ways for managing that. And I know that you're going to get through this, right? Like, I know that you're going to be okay. So I want you to focus on what you need to, to let go of those anxious feelings. And if it helps, you know, I just won't talk about this until you're ready. And then you, when you're ready, let me know. And then we can talk about this again. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're very clearly saying, I acknowledge your feelings. It's okay that you're feeling them. I have confidence that you can handle it and that in the end it'll be okay. But you also don't take ownership of, well, 
oh, I'm going to have to change everything I do because if you're not okay, then it's my fault and I have to do something about it. So it's, it's a, a shift to not both within first within your own head, realizing this isn't mine to take care of. Right. And then being able to set it clearly with the other person, like, okay, I see where you're at and that's okay. So then how do you shadow box once it comes down to no, you need to make me feel better about this or the implication or the back and forth? Because it's in conversation, it's pretty easy to say, right? I refuse to take ownership for what you're experiencing. However, I do believe that what you're experiencing is valid. I understand what you're experiencing, and I think that what you're experiencing is okay. I believe in your ability to get over this. What if they then try to push that back into your arena? What if it becomes a back and forth in those circumstances? How do you navigate that situation? So for me personally, in my own life, when I'm faced with that, my first step is to recognize that usually when that's happening, I'm going to have a physical reaction within my own body, right? I'm going to have a sensation. I refer to it as being flooded. It's kind of that fight flight response. And so step one is awareness with myself. What is going on with me? And then step two is being able to communicate that clearly and effectively to the other person. So I would say to the other person, you know, I'm really feeling pushed right now. I recognize that I'm really flooded and that being in this flooded place, I'm not going to be able to think clearly. And I'm probably not going to say what I really am wanting or meaning to say, and it's not going to be helpful. And I need to take some time to take care of myself in this moment and come back and then we can figure out like what really is the problem that we need to work through and how can we do that in a way that's healthy right so i do it by owning me and where i'm at and how i'm feeling and what i need in that moment specifically okay i think that that's probably really valuable because i think that establishing the boundary is probably only ever the first step particularly if you're in circumstances or situations where um, you've made yourself freely available as kind of a uh, kind of a resource for other people to tap into. So this is something that I'm going to come up against um, because I have made myself a resource and other things. So pardon me for taking the free lesson, but sometimes you get an no. opportunity, you know. I love that question, and I think it'll be very helpful for our listeners as well. You know, it's a tricky skill to learn. And I think that's a really good first step, right? If you're wanting them to take ownership of their own emotions, mm-hmm. the first step is you taking ownership of your own, own emotions and and what you need and acting on it because you're really modeling for them what it is that you hope they can learn as well. Because we, we can't really force anyone else to do it, but we can do the work ourselves. And in doing the work ourselves, we free ourselves from that prison that you were talking about, yeah. right? If you had known this earlier, that at any time you could take ownership and say, I'm not feeling okay. I need to take care of this so that I can then try to be there for you. Yeah. Right. And if I'm not okay in my body, yeah. I'm I can't be there for you. Yeah. That's a gift that you can really give to other people that they yeah. can then learn from. I was gonna say too is that I think it's important to stay firm, you know, and whatever boundaries, whatever it is that you need, I think there's a way that that can present and not be so harsh. But I think the way that you described it, Julie, is really good. Yeah, it it is. It's, the trick is learning when you're trying to figure out these boundaries, right? First, we have to have that self-awareness, mm-hmm. but figuring out how to say it is also something that takes time. So I think having kind of grace and mercy for yourself as you go through and you learn, okay, I was trying to be clear, but I wasn't quite clear. And so because of that, I had this, you know, bounce back effect where they came at me again with more stuff. So learning like, how am I clear and still be kind? Yeah, 100%. And it's okay for that to take some time 
for you to figure that out. And there might be some people that you learn it has to be less kind because they have a hard time listening. I know someone who's dealing with a sister who has a lot of social issues and probably some autism spectrum. And she doesn't get anything that's not direct, Mm. but anything that is direct, she's going to be hurt. It's harsh. Yeah. It feels harsh. And she takes it very harsh, but she doesn't understand it if it's not very direct. Like sometimes she'll invite herself (laughs) (laughs) to things and the person has to say, you, you know, I, I already have these plans and you're not invited to this. Yeah. Mm. that's very direct but she takes that as like you don't like me (laughs) and so you try to be kind you try to be clear and you try to be direct but you also recognize if they don't take it the right way it's an opportunity for both of you to learn right maybe you can learn was there a way i could have been more direct or is there a way i could have been more kind and they then have an opportunity to learn, you know, what could I have done differently in that situation if I wanted something to turn out different, right? Like maybe they can learn to ask rather than just invite themselves, right? I think a lot of times we get stuck with boundaries because we're so worried about hurting other people or other people hurting. And so there is this concept too of distress tolerance and feeling okay with people not being okay. Mm. that it's okay yeah that's a big one for me that was really hard is letting other people be in whatever emotion that they're having right and not trying and to take ownership okay. for it and try to fix that it they can them. that they can learn from that that maybe they need to learn from that discomfort and being in the place that they're not okay that's okay yeah next step's gonna be learning not to be an emotional pack mule <laughs> that's a good conversation too yes yes i like that analogy not be an emotional pack meal that's a that is huge (laughs) because i think it's our a lot of times the way that our mind processes information it just does pack all that stuff away i've been a good one for too long at this point (laughs) (laughs) i've known nathan for since was it well, no, it was pretty much since we since I moved, right? That's when we started talking. September. No, 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 July. No, because July it was July is... and September. That was always that was the joke immediately. I was like, it's not July anymore. Dude, I will go back to our July DM and September. Tell you. No, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was. Well, it was. It was. What about August? Hello. There's a whole month. Oh in yeah, there. true. Yeah, it was August because. It's July and August was the start. I remember it was a month after. It calls me July. Sometimes. I love it so much. Sometimes. It's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> well, and August is when you guys started your new group and really started communicating a lot. Yeah, that's you. true. Yeah, it was August. But anyways, the point is <laughs> that I've known him for uh, three months. So not very long. And since I've known him... There's a huge difference between things that he was willing to do then and now I think he has like the boundaries a lot a lot stronger I now am. than he did. Like he would take responsibility for <laughs> other people's actions like all the time. I'm like what are you doing, dude? <laughs> well, if I had just done this thing differently, it would have yeah, hindsight, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> It's a journey. It's a journey. Emotional. Yeah. There's a lot of growth, though. I'm actually really proud of you. I think you've done a good job. It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a lot of work. Yeah. But it's the valuable work, right? And I think it's mm-hmm. probably the only work that ever gets you to a place where you can be comfortable and actually make progress, right? Because I feel like there's kind of a general feeling of unrest in the country right now, not even including like international events and things that are going on all over the world. I think that people in general just need more room to breathe. And I think that there's this feeling of I'm not being given enough room to breathe. And there's this kind of lost art i hate to say but it seems like older generations did it pretty well and it just kind of got lost among millennials and under where um 
it was, yeah, I need room to breathe so everybody else can go away for a little while, right? If you think about it, your grandfather went fishing out on the lake and you couldn't contact him all day. His phone was off. He was just gone. He was processing. Right, there was no phone. To yeah, right. when, my, when I was a kid, there weren't. No well, phones. even if there no was, right? So when, <laughs> yeah. when like one cell phones became a thing, if you know <laughs> you're going out to the lake for the day, you're not going to get contacted about anything. You're unavailable for that time, and I think that people, myself included, really kind of find trouble with being unavailable. Because what if somebody needs something? What if I'm needed during this time? And it's very easy to get caught up in, I'm needed in this time. And people are just kind of left on their own. But people have to be able to process on their own. And that's it's another one that I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, taking the time. Yeah, it's a journey, all right. It is. It is. Life is a journey. And we're all in different places on that journey, too. Lucky enough to be able to have it. Yeah. But I appreciate you being willing to come and share that journey with us. And I think, um, you know, those experiences that you've had and how you've been trying to make sense of them are very valuable and very helpful because you're not the only one who's been on that journey. And some people are right smack dab in the middle of where you were a few years ago. So, I appreciate you being vulnerable and being open and sharing these things and what you've learned from them. Yeah, 100%. I appreciate the time and effort that y'all are putting into this. And I think it's it's a valuable thing that y'all are putting out there. Thank you. Thanks for talking with us. I appreciate you. Of course. Appreciate you too. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for letting us interview you. I'm really grateful for your time and we are grateful for you listeners as well. We wanted to let you know you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love to hear more from you and please reach out. Yeah. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.